Today's scripture reading is from Mark. People were bringing little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them, but the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He said to them, Let the children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms, placed his hands on them, and blessed them. Most of you know that we're beginning today a a new six-week series on the subject of parenthood. And I think the first order of business is just to explain why and to to answer some objections. Because there's a few reasons why you can think of that you might not want to spend six weeks on this subject. So number one, it's, it's not universally applicable. Um, not everybody is a parent, so you're just kind of missing some people. It's irrelevant. Number two, worse than irrelevant, it could also be a topic that is painful. Um, some people that want to have kids don't have kids. Some people that do have kids don't want to have kids. Um, some people are estranged from their kids. Some people have a really lousy childhood that they'd rather not dwell on. So why bring all that up? Why go there? The third reason you might not want to spend six weeks on this topic is just that it's a, it's a very personal, complex subject that everybody's kind of already got their views worked out on, and they don't necessarily need a preacher boy who's been <laughs> a parent for all of three years to, to tell them, you know, what to think about it. Or, the, you know, the flip side of that same thing is, we already get so much advice um, on, you know, from the, our magazines and our books and all these sources. We already feel so much judgment from the other parents in the neighborhood that have it all together. You know, do we really need this at church, too? And, and people have even said that to me. You know, oh, the parenting series is going to be great to hear all the things I'm doing wrong. You know, I'm really looking forward to that. So those are the reasons why you might not want to do that, this series, where we're going to do it anyway. Um, for, for the following two reasons. Number one, you can't ever understand parenthood until you see it from God's perspective. Now, I'm obviously not saying that, that you have to be religious to be a, a good parent. That's clearly false. I'm, I'm just saying that there are, are things that will always remain baffling about parenthood, about parents and children, until you look at it from, from God's perspective, because he's the one that, that made it up. He's the one that invented it. It's going to offer something that no other philosophy or approach can offer. But the the second reason uh, that we're going to spend the time on it, which is maybe even more important and a little bit more surprising, you know I was going to say the Bible has unique things to say about parenthood. But the second thing is that not only is it the case that you can't understand parenthood until you look at it from God's perspective, it's also the case that you can't ever fully understand God until you look at him from the perspective of parenthood. And I'm going to say a little bit more about that in just a minute. For now, all I'll say is that that justifies us spending six weeks on the subject. Because even if you don't have kids, if you're not planning on having kids anytime soon, presumably everybody here wants to understand God. You know, that's why you're sitting here right now instead of at the pier. Um, and so looking from the perspective of parenthood is, is one of the best lenses that we have. So that's why we're going to do it. This morning, as is our custom, is kind of just an infomercial for the rest of the series kind of general, lay the groundwork, um, make sure we're all on the same page, so probably nothing groundbreaking, but want to want to get all kind of in the same frame of mind. So the title of the message is Having Kids, 
um, not just the, the birthing, but also, you know, then you've, you have them and you've got to do something with them. And then three sections to today's message. First, having kids is God's plan. Second, having kids is harder than it's supposed to be. And third, having kids requires God's help. It's God's plan. It's harder than it's supposed to be, and it requires God's help. So we'll look at each of those one at a time. Before we get started, let's pray together. Father, we ask for your wisdom as we look at a subject that's really important to a lot of us personally, really important to us as a society. And when we look at Scripture, we find out really important to you as well. We ask that you would teach us through your word. We ask that you would deal gently with us, that you would um, speak to our hearts, not just our minds, that you would show us grace. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So first, uh, having kids is God's plan. Having kids is God's plan. Um, the, the first thing I want to say about it being God's plan, you know, what do you mean by that? Everybody has to have kids, or what, what's this about? Is that it's it's connected to who God is as a person. And this is you remember back in the the uh, parent or the marriage series last fall, we talked about this with respect to, to marriage. God made two really odd choices when He created humankind. The first odd choice was that He um, created not not one self-contained human being, but two kind of partial human beings, male and female, that then have to be joined back up together again. That's very strange. The whole thing, gender, marriage, sex, it's all very odd. Um, the, the second really odd choice he made, which is what we're focusing on this fall, is that it, it is through that union, through that joining back up together of the two halves of humanity, that then produces... You're not going to believe this, actually, but then that, that union spontaneously produces new human beings. And not, not just any new human beings, but human beings that are totally immature, undeveloped, that have to be raised up. And it's not in any way obvious or necessary that it should work like this. You know, we come to think that it's, well, of course it, it works like this. Because it's all we know. But, but why? Why should it be like this? I remember the, the first time uh, Brittany gave birth you know, into the living room. And my unfiltered reaction at the very end when Reese was actually coming out into the world, um, which I could not suppress, was just laughter. And Brittany didn't appreciate it. Um, the doctor was concerned about me. But I could not hold back this laughter, just this sense of wonder and awe. Is anybody else seeing this? There is a, a person coming out of another person. This is very, very strange. And then there she is, you know, this person, this miniature person where everything's fully detailed, but it's all shrunk down. It's like those, you know, the, the uh, model trains or planes where the, the hobbyists spend months getting every detail exactly like it is on the large version, but it's just scaled down a thousand times. A baby's like that, but it's a, a human being. And, and she's there, you know, tiny little heart, tiny little hands and feet. And, and then the, the next day they say, well, you just, you know, take her home. Take her home and, um, you know, feed her and uh, make sure she sleeps. 
and give it some time, you know, a couple of decades, <laughs> and the, t- the tiny heart will become a full-size heart, and the tiny hands and tiny feet will become full-size hands and feet, and then you can send her on her way. This is strange. This is a strange setup. And he didn't have to do it like this. He could have done it any way he wanted. We assume, because this is the way that it is, that it had to be this way. He could have done it any way he wanted. He made Adam and Eve fully mature out of the dust. He could have just kept making people fully mature out of the dust. Or he could have had human beings reproduce, but they reproduce fully mature human beings. You have a fully grown man come out in the living room. Hey, how you doing? Thank you for the ride. You know, I'm going to go get a job now. And instead, instead... You have these, these babies that are a drain, just a drain of time and energy and money, a drain on society for 20 years <laughs> until they contribute anything back. You can tell that my kids are 3 and 18 months, and you're going to be able to tell that about it throughout the series. So what's this about? He must have had a reason, and he did. He did have a reason. God set up parents and children. He created humankind like this to teach us two things. Number one, how he feels about us. And number two, how he wants us to feel toward him. The fundamental truth of God's nature, God's person, is that he is a parent. That's who he is. And so he has to figure, his dilemma is, how do I communicate this to my creatures? How do I communicate this to my children? So you write parenthood as a play within a play as a drama within the drama, reflecting the larger relationship between God and us. If you look at the, on your insert, the first scripture there in section one, just talking about God's identity as a parent. So God created mankind in his own image. This is in, inside your programs, and this is on the front of it. So God created mankind in his own image. We are God's offspring Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. But you receive the spirit of sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. God is a parent, we are his children. And parenthood, human parenthood, is an object lesson to help us figure out how he feels about us. So we have a point of reference. Let me read you, I compiled this week just a list of of things God says to us. See if any of these sound familiar to you as a parent, if you are a parent. I knew you before you were born. Was there the day you were born? Jeremiah 1, Psalm 78. I know when you lay down. I know when you get up. Psalm 139. I rejoice over you with singing. Zephaniah 3. You are my treasured possession. Exodus 19. I am your greatest encourager. 2 Thessalonians 2. I am closest to you when you are brokenhearted. Psalm 34. I carry you close to my heart. Isaiah 40. I wipe the tears from your eyes. Revelation 21. I am always for you, never against you, and nothing can separate you from my love. Romans 8. I wait and watch for you to come home. Luke 15. I lavish my love on you. 1 John 3. I have good plans for your future. Jeremiah 29. I have things I want to show you that I know you'll enjoy. Jeremiah 33, I provide for you and meet your needs. Matthew 6, every good gift you receive comes from me. James 1. That's what he says to us. And you don't have any point of reference. You don't understand any of those things 
if it's not for the, the institution of parenthood. But in a world with parenthood, in a world where parenthood exists, all of a sudden you can intuitively grasp all of it. Oh, okay, I get it. He's a parent. We're his children. He wants us to know how he feels for us. This is the next verse on your insert. It illustrates this point really beautifully. Psalm 103 just says it. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. He writes parenthood into the story so there's a point of reference for him to tell us how he feels about us. But that's just half of it. The flip side is that then he wants us to know how we're supposed to feel about him. When we look at the world through the eyes of a parent, we see how God feels about us. When we look at the world through the eyes of a child, we see how God wants us to relate and respond to him. Uh, The next verse down there from Mark 10, it's a famous incident. It says, People were bringing little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them, but the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He said to them, Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. He took the children in his arms, placed his hands on them, and blessed them. This isn't like kind of a a side comment he makes. This is in many ways that the heart of Jesus is teaching, the heart of what he came to tell us. His disciples say... um, Lord, teach us to pray. He says, we start by saying, Father. The crowds come and say, well, how are we supposed to live, Jesus? And he says, well, you can start by stop worrying so much. Don't worry so much. Don't you know that your Father in heaven wants to provide for you? And this is, I mean, this is the religious question. If there is a God, how am I supposed to relate to him? If there is a God, what am I supposed to do? What does he expect from me? And that question is without an answer in a world without children. But in a world with children, it's very simple. You just point to the child. It's like this. You do it like this. And that's why he's so angry at the disciples for not understanding. He says, you're, you're shooing them away. These are your tutors. These are your mentors. These are the people that are going to show you how it's done. Be like this. Be like a child. Trust God. Believe in God. Depend on God. Children show us how God wants us to relate to him. How we're supposed to feel Toward God, when we look at the eyes, the, the world through the eyes of a child, and when we look at the world through the eyes of a parent, we see how God feels toward us. So, kids are a big deal. Children, having children, there being children in the world, is part of God's plan for those two reasons. So, it's very nice and inspiring. Now we have to move to the second section of the message, which is that having kids is a lot harder than it's supposed to be. Uh, you, the 2010, there was a Pew research study that asked, you know, why did you decide to have children? Asked parents, why did you decide to have children? And 90% of them said, we decided to have children for the joy of, of parenthood, for the joy of having children. That same year, 2010, this, so this was two summers ago, you might remember, there was this infamous uh, New York magazine cover that said, I love my kids, I hate my life. And the the title of the article was, All Joy and No Fun, Why Parents Hate Parenting. So let me just read you the the first couple paragraphs. This is a little bit long, but I think it's it's worthwhile. Um, The author says, There was a day a few weeks ago when I found my two-and-a-half-year-old son sitting on our building doorstep waiting for me to come home. He spotted me as I was rounding the corner, 
and the scene that followed was one of inexpressible loveliness, right out of the movie I had played to myself before actually having a child, with him popping out of his babysitter's arms and barreling down the street to greet me. This happy moment, though, was about to be cut short, and in retrospect felt more like a tranquil lull in a slasher film. When I opened our apartment door, I discovered that my son had broken apart the wooden parking garage toy I'd spent about an hour assembling that morning. This wouldn't have been a problem per se, except that as I attempted to fix it, he grew impatient and began throwing its various parts at the walls, with one plank very narrowly missing my eye. I recited the rules of the house. No throwing, no hitting. He picked up another large wooden plank. I ducked. He reached for the screwdriver. This scene ended with a timeout in his crib. As I shuffled back to the living room, I thought of something a friend once said about the Children's Museum of Manhattan. A nice place, but what it really needs is a bar. (laughs) And rude how, at that moment, the same thing could be said of my apartment. 240 seconds earlier, I had been in a state of pair-bonded bliss, Now I was guided by nerves trawling the cabinets for alcohol. (laughs) And what the article goes on to say, you know, that's a personal anecdote to open. The article goes on to say, every study in the last 10 years has shown the exact same thing, which is that happiness goes way down when people become parents. It's like universal. I mean, the most famous one was 2004, a study of working moms in Texas, 900 women, Asked them to rank 19 activities in order of preference. Taking care of their kids came in 16th on the list, below housework. Um, And it mentioned that there was this one study in 2009 that said, no, everybody's been wrong. Actually, we've, we've finally proven that despite all the other studies, parents do really get happier after having kids. And then they had to run a retraction. Like two weeks later, there was an error in their coding data, and they said, nope, it's negative. It's, they, they're, they're less happy. It's just crazy. It's so consistent. And so this is leading you know, some people to say, well, wait, if it doesn't make anybody happier, why do we do this? What is, what's the point of this? Does this really make sense? This book just came out uh, this month, actually. You might have seen ads for it on the subway. This is... Why Have Kids, A New Mom Explores the Truth About Parenting and Happiness. Talking, you know, responding to all these studies, she's the mother, new mother of one, and she, you know, she talks about her own experience and then talks about all these other people's experience and says, does this really make sense anymore? You know, is this, why do we consider this such a good thing if it always has this negative effect? And what I, what I think is just so amusing about all of this is that it's, it's said as though it's like this big revelation that parenting is so hard. You know, it's like uh, parenting's broken. There's something wrong with parenting. Like, I, we don't know what happened, but, you know, get the word out. And the Bible has said this from the very beginning. The Bible has said that parenthood is broken from the very beginning. If you look on the reverse of your insert, this is section two now. This is God speaking to Eve right after Adam and Eve eat the fruit. He says to the woman, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor, you will give birth to children. It's a curse. 
And the curse isn't just about labor. You know, labor is symbolic. It's clear from the context. Labor is symbolic of this curse on, on raising children in general. It's going to be really, really painful. The relationship is, is cursed. Parenthood is broken. So the Bible agrees. The question is just why. And what the, the commentators today say, you know, is, well, the problem is out there. It's something with society. This is from the jacket of this Why I Have Kids book. It says, if parenting is making Americans unhappy, if it's impossible to have at all, if people don't have the economic, social, and political structures needed to support child-rearing. So that's one way of looking at the world, looking at problems, the problems out there. And the reason, I'm not saying that structures aren't part of it, but the reason that people don't like the Bible is that the Bible tells you the ugly truth. And the ugly truth is that while structures matter, while society and politics matter, it's not the root issue. The two main reasons why parenthood is broken can be found within your own home. first reason that the parenthood is broken, the first reason raising kids, having kids is so hard, is that your kids are messed up. Your kids are deeply messed up. And what God is saying in this curse is, hey, remember when you just did that thing when you were rebellious? and disobedient and selfish, guess what? That's going to come standard now on all new models. That's just going to be the norm from now on. You're going to have to deal with that. That's how it's going to be with you and your kids. And if you look there, the, the next verse down, still under next section two, some verses to this effect. The intent of man's heart is evil from his youth. Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. The hearts of the sons of men are full of evil, and insanity is in their hearts through their lives. If you've ever thought, I think my child is insane, now you have backup right here in the scriptures. And, you know, we could use, I mean, we could have all kinds of examples here about this, this kids being messed up, of evil from the day they're born. Um, from, you know, trivial stuff to, you know, siblings playing, um, having fun one minute and then all of a sudden just hitting for no reason, just slapping the other kid in the face, no explanation, or, you know, you're, just, you're kind of roughhousing, and then I'm going to yank your head off, you know, just absolutely no explanation. Trivial stuff to the really serious. I mean, parents, adolescent parents murder their, their or adolescent children murder their parents in anger, I mean, every year, in every country. You know, there are a couple cases this last summer. So we could talk about those um, I think, to me, what it is even more than behavior is a look um, in the eyes. And I, I saw it again this week. Um, this is a very typical scene at our house, eating dinner. Reese decides she doesn't want to eat dinner. Um, so, say, you know, you have to eat dinner before you get down and play. She scrunches up her face and, and shoves the, the plate across the table. So, okay, well, we're going to go have a timeout. So we go to the timeout, and... Um, Sit her down, okay, you know you can't do that, you know, you know if you have to have time out if you do that, you know that you can't play until you eat your food, yada, yada, yada. And as we're talking, the, the like, scrunched-up angry face starts to melt, and in its place takes this look of insolence and arrogance and haughtiness and mocking, this, this half-grin of... I, I am going to make a fool of you tonight. <laughs> if it's the last thing I do, I'm going to make a fool of you tonight. So she's, now she's kind of smiling as I'm telling her, you understand? Yes. You understand? Yes. 
So come back after timeouts over. Bring her to the back to the table. She's completely silent. You know, no no uh, signs of anger at all. Just sits down, coolly, calmly collected, shoves the plate across the table. <laughs> Go back, do the same thing a couple of times. Same look on her face, and you know, kind of ratchet up the consequences every time. Finally, it gets to be too much for her to bear. You know, she's going to lose, you know, this many books or whatever. So I say, okay, this is it. This is the last time, you know. And and she says, okay. She comes out of timeout. And her face is just as sweet as can be. Daddy, could you help me with a few bites? Daddy, oh, could I have a glass of milk? Oh, thank you, Daddy, eating your dinner. It's like, what is wrong with this kid? This is, this is freaky. This is very freaky. This child is messed up. And she just, just made a switch. She just flipped it. It was so easy. And yet, so hard. So hard. And you could see that there is a war of cosmic proportions going on inside this little 30-pound body. She's at war with herself. She's messed up. And that's the first reason why parenting, why parenthood, why having kids is, is so hard. Why it's harder than it's supposed to be. Second reason, of course, is that not only are your kids messed up, but you're messed up. Um, and, you know, it's not like this is something you outgrow. Um, let, me, let me read you this excerpt from John Ortberg, talking about kind of his disappointment with himself. He said, when I look in on my children as they sleep at night, I think of the kind of father I want to be. I want to create moments of magic. I want them to remember laughing until the tears flow. I want to read to them and make the books come alive so they love to read. I want to have slow, sweet talks with them as they're getting ready to close their eyes. I want to sing them awake in the morning. I want to chase fireflies with them, teach them to play tennis, have food fights, and hold them and pray for them in a way that makes them feel cherished. I look in on them as they sleep at night, and I remember how the day really went. I remember how they were trapped in a fight over checkers, and I walked out of the room because I didn't want to spend the energy needed to teach them how to resolve conflict. I remember how my daughter spilled cherry punch at dinner, and I yelled at her about being careful as if she'd revealed some deep character flaw. I remember how at night I didn't have slow, sweet talks, but merely rushed the children to bed so I could have more time to myself. It's not just that your kids are messed up, it's that you're messed up too. And that, um, the, the mention of the cherry punch there, spilling the cherry punch reminded me of a story, a uh, story, uh, incident that, that Brittany told me about this last week. This was a week ago, it's a Sunday afternoon, you know, first weekend of the NFL, and they're at the at Fairway, so it's really busy. People are getting food for the game and stuff, and kind of an intense, stressful atmosphere, and they're checking out. And this family ahead of them had just checked out, and there's a little boy, seven or eight years old, and he's carrying this big platter of sushi, and he drops it in just the perfect way so that, you know, that busts open and goes flying all over the floor. And the dad just starts yelling, how could you be so clumsy? You're never careful. Why don't you ever pay attention? And the mom is, you know, just standing there with her head down in shame, just silent. And, you know, when I heard that, I felt the same thing that you probably feel, which is just rage, just wanting to hit the guy, wanting to slam him up against the wall, you know, say, Stop it. Like, you disgust me. You, your kid deserves so much better than you. That's my first reaction. And then my second reaction 
when I thought about it later in the week, was to start weeping. Um, realizing that the reason we get so angry when we hear that story is because it hits a really deep nerve. Because our kids deserve better than us, too. Our kids deserve better than us. My kids deserve better than me, and your kids deserve better than you. We're messed up. We're messed up, and we do messed up stuff. And I might not have ever done that specifically, but if you do a hundred, you know, the same little thing a hundred times, doesn't it sort of add up? Or if you don't do the same little thing a hundred times, doesn't it sort of add up? We're messed up. Your kids are messed up, and you're messed up. And that's what makes having kids and raising kids so much harder than it's supposed to be. So it's, it's only from that place of despair that you can then move to the, the third point today. And we're actually just going to mention this. We're, we're pretty much through. But the, the third section of the message, the third point, is just that having kids requires God's help. Having kids requires God's help. Raising kids requires God's help. If you're going to get past this brokenness of parenthood, and he wants to help. That's why Jesus came. That's the whole mission, was to start undoing the curse, was to start putting things back together, to start healing these rifts that began in Eden. If you look in, under uh, section 3 there on your insert from Malachi chapter 4, and he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. This is the last book of the Old Testament. It's a prophecy about things to come, saying God wants to do this. He wants to undo the curse. He wants to make this parent-child relationship right again, but you can't do it on your own. Now, I, mean, I mean, I guess you can, you can try, um, but you're, you're going to either go crazy um, or just end up doing some really strange things. This, this perfect timing, I love it when this happens. Just this week, right in time for the parenting series, there was a an art dealer from San Francisco who had an op-ed in the Times um, called Pot for Parents, um, talking about how much better a parent he is when he's high. Um, and, you know, it, it was sort of tongue-in-cheek, you know. I mean, he talks about, like, um, you know, it was, he did, like, a before and after. So before it was like, you know, can I watch a video? Yes, of course, please. You know, and now it's like, can I watch a video? Why don't we get a book and read a story and make our own video? And I'll go get the, the finger puppets, you know. And um, so, you know, it's kind of funny. Um, but so, it, you know, he's kind of joking. But he's, he's also totally dead serious. I mean, he's saying, this has made me a better parent. This is his, his closing paragraph. He says, deeply embedded voices of authority in my head, do still caution that I may be hurting my kids in ways I can't see. I wonder. Um, but I just can't imagine how it could possibly be worse for them than the consequences of their father's former stress-fueled frustration and withdrawal. When I'm rolling around the floor with my giggling daughters, clicking into an easy dynamic of goofy happiness and love, I feel it's just what the doctor ordered. So, you know, there's two groups of people here right now. Some of you are thinking, yes, that's it. <laughs> and you guys don't even need to come back for the rest of the series. You've, you've found your solution elsewhere, and that's great. I'm, I'm happy for you, I guess. Um, but if you don't want to go through your, your parenting years stoned, 
you know, then you, you have to find some way of dealing with it. You have to find some way of dealing with this gap um, between the parent that you want to be and the parent you are, dealing with this gap between who your kids are and what you expected them to be. Um, and that's, that's what we're doing over the next six weeks. So like I said, it's just an infomercial for the series. We're going to be going to Scripture, looking for wisdom in these areas, but not just that, also looking for help, looking for power, looking for God's presence. If you look at the final verse on your insert from Matthew 11, this is Jesus' words to all of us, but especially, especially applicable to parents. He says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, and you will find rest for your souls. So that's what we're going to be trying to do over this, this six-week series. Learning with Jesus, looking at Scripture's unique perspective on these, these subjects, and seeing if we can't make a little bit of, of headway. So I'm looking forward to doing this together. Let's pray. God, we are so grateful to be called your children. We're so grateful that you're a God, not who is far away and distant and impersonable, but who wants to know us and is close to us and who wants us to trust like like a child. And God, as we look at these subjects over the next few weeks, I pray first that you would help us to understand parenting better, that you'd help us to see what it's all about, understand how it's supposed to work, but then also through that, God, that we would understand you better. As we look at this subject, as we look at you through the lens of this subject, we would come to see you in a different light than we have before. Please help us. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.